Computer, initialize Holosuite. The Adventures of Captain Proton, Chapter 18, The Ride of Chaotica. The evil Dr. Chaotica kidnaps Constance Goodhart and plans to sacrifice her to Arachnia, Queen of the Spider People. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Proton travels millions of miles to Planet X, where he will invade the Fortress of Doom. Chaotica fires his fiendish death ray. Certain death for Proton as his rocket ship bursts into flames! Hi everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. The clip that you just heard there was from one of my favorite Star Trek Voyager episodes ever. It is called Bride of Chaotica. Today I was supposed to do an interview slash discussion with my friend Courtney Tink about the new Corella film, but unfortunately she could not make it today. So today I decided to do an episode on Star Trek Voyager and also to at least use some of her research to inform the discussion. So today I'll be talking about this episode, Bride of Chaotica and how Captain Janeway, in her embodiment of the Spider Queen Arachnia, shows us an ideal representation of the 1940s and 1950s femme fatale in film at that time. I really love this episode because it's in black and white, <laughs> it's a holodeck episode, it's funny, Chaotica is hilarious, Captain Janeway did a stellar job in portraying Queen Arachnia, and I just love actually all of the Captain Proton episodes. It's a pity that they stopped with the Captain Proton episodes after this one, but um, it was a really fun episode and it's really good and I really highly recommend watching this Voyager episode. So first I will give some background on the synopsis of the film and then I'll talk a little bit about the femme fatale in film as Courtney wrote it in her master's dissertation. So yes, I hope that you enjoy this episode once again and thank you for supporting this podcast. I can't believe we're already on the 17th episode. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. So first of all, let me start by explaining the synopsis of, the, of this episode, if you have not watched it already. So it is, takes place during an episode of The Adventures of Captain Proton on the holodeck. And here we see um, Harry Kim and Tom Paris in their roles as Captain Proton and Buster Kincaid. They are kind of playing out this chapter called Bride of Chaotica. But then Voyager gets stuck in some sort of a spatial distortion. And while that happens, all the power and everything on the ship goes down and the holodeck goes down too. So Harry and Kim actually are unable to get out of the holodeck or out of the holodeck program. So the program keeps running. So while the command staff of Voyager try to discover a way to free the ship from the spatial distortions, these extra dimensional aliens who exists in photonic states, so they are basically holograms, they cross over from their own dimension through a distortion located in the holodeck. So these like, um, it looks like little, uh, little clouds start appearing and these aliens start appearing. 
these photonic aliens. And they are detected and attacked by Dr. Chaotica, who is part of the holodeck program. And then he believes that they are from the fifth dimension. And he also uses holographic weaponry, which is harmless for human beings um, against these aliens. But obviously it's deadly to them because they are also holograms or they are also photonic. So... Eventually, the crew figure this out. There's this really funny scene where Seven of Nine looks at Harry and um, Harry and Paris, and she's just like, you know, is this seriously what you guys do with your extra time? Um, that was quite funny. So um, they realize that this is playing out. So what happens is the crew of Voyager decide that they need to go into the holodeck program and they need to stop this fight, stop what's happening. So then um, they take their roles. The doctor becomes the president of Earth <laughs> and he's also a photonic. So he kind of negotiates with the aliens. And then Harry becomes Buster Kincaid, which is his character. And Tom Paris becomes Captain Proton. And then Arachnia, of course, is played by Captain Janeway. So um, <laughs> there's this one scene where Harry, uh, not Harry, Tom is kind of briefing Captain Janeway on what has to happen. And he's like, yeah, um, Chaotica is, uh, you need to use your pheromones to seduce Chaotica. And she's like, I beg your pardon? <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? Um, but then the pheromones are, it's like perfume that has this magical effect on um on Dr. Chaotica. So yeah, they're inside the program in full costume. I loved Captain Janeway's uh, Arachnia outfit. I thought it was really cool. And then she kind of uses her charms to try and manipulate Chaotica into lowering what they call the lightning shield, which is translated to a force field or just the shield, which protects his fortress under the pretense that her loyal subjects in their spider ships can attend their wedding. So she's like, yeah, I'll marry you, but you need to lower the shield. And then Chaotica becomes suspicious of Arachnia, so she attempts to deactivate the shield herself, but then Chaotica traps her in his confinement rings, which is uh, also like a force field, and then he tells her that he'll kill her after the wedding night, so I thought that was really like, uh, <laughs> this guy. Um, and then what she does is she uses her pheromones, um, which is like, I guess it's like perfume, to hypnotize Chaotica's guard, and she manipulates him into freeing her. So she kind of uses this, you know, femininity or sexuality uh, to kind of tempt the guard. And then she deactivates the lightning shield. And then Captain Proton can use, um, can fire the destructo beam at Chaotica and defeat him. And then Voyager is freed and they continue on their journey home. And then we have uh, what has been ranked in 2019 by CBR as the best holodeck episode in Star Trek of all time. <laughs> so, yes, a really fun episode and really cool episode. Um, so, first of all, before I get into the analysis part, let me first then give some background on the Farm Fatale. 
So this is a disclaimer. I'm not using my own research. Okay. This, the next three paragraphs that I'm going to read, they are coming from Courtney Tink's master's dissertation. So, um, it's available on the University of Pretoria's website. If you would like to read her whole dissertation, I highly recommend it because it's really good. I read it myself. Um, but I found the way that she explained the Femme Fatale very useful and, uh, she's done more research on it than I have. So I'm going to use her description of the Femme Fatale to kind of explain what it is. And then I'll apply my own analysis of it to Captain Janeway in Bride of Chaotica. Okay. So Courtney Tink says, that the femme fatale remained a villainous antagonist in film, but she was also a very desirable role to play. Okay, so now we're talking about like early 20th century film, those black and white films. Um, yes, I don't know if you're familiar with the femme fatale, um, but yes, I think what I'm going to read next will uh, explain more. Um, so the femme fatale... It was a desirable role to play because it was one of the few female roles in film at that time that actually involved an active character that was powerful and dangerous. The femme fatale is a character that derives power from her gender without sacrificing her beauty or femininity. Okay, quite interesting. Um, we'll keep a note of that when we come back to Captain Janeway. According to two theorists, their surnames are Adrian's and Bowell, the femme fatale maintains ultra-femininity while also demonstrating traits associated with heteronormative masculinity, like power and strength. Previously, in film, there had been mainly two contrasting female roles. One woman was good, and she was also naive, and the other was evil and ill-intentioned. Those were kind of the binaries that existed in film uh, in the early 19th century, before the femme fatale came. Courtney Ting says that these separate roles guaranteed that the female character remained passive. However, this changed with the film. The film is called Gilda. Actually, I haven't seen this film, but it was released in 1946, so you can get an idea of the time frame. The actress, her name was Rita Hayworth, she says, with Rita Hayworth as the female lead, Gilda was a character that embodied both good and evil qualities, which left her elusive and enigmatic. The character Gilda therefore caused ambiguity and confusion because she embodied binary characteristics. Now I continue to quote from Courtney Ting's master's dissertation. This mysteriousness saw the formation of a specific trope within the femme fatale construct, namely, and I quote from Jankovic, the siren of no mean proportions who completely befouls the hero's career. Okay, also keep that in mind um, when we look at what Captain Janeway does to Chaotica or what Arachnia does to Chaotica. This specific trope saw the femme fatale use her wily nature and seductive behavior to get whatever she wanted, which was usually materialistic. Okay, once again, um, think of Chaotica, uh, but maybe I should stop referring to that in between. Maybe I should just keep the analysis for later. I'm just seeing so many things spring up <laughs> in the Bride of Chaotica episode when I read this. Okay, I continue to quote. 
This version of the Forme Fatale was not necessarily a departure from the Noir Forme Fatale, but rather a new imagining or interpretation of the Forme Fatale within Noir films. This version of the Forme Fatale is a character seen in films such as James Bond. Specifically, she was a diabolically beautiful woman whose beauty was outmatched only by her cruelty and penchant for revenge. According to Amanda Dupreer, I'm glad <laughs> Courtney is also co quoting her because, um, as you know from previous episodes, I quote her a lot too. She says, The femme fatale, and I quote, assigns women the power to control men, even to destroy them by using their beauty and ability to compel men's attractions. However, as Amanda Dupreer notes, this power always remains firmly under the control of patriarchy. Zhang explains that as long as a woman is content to be a farm, a home, she has no feminine individuality. She is empty and merely glitters, a welcome vessel for masculine projections. Okay, so... Um, Yes, maybe I can elaborate on this a little bit. Despite the obviously progressive potential of the femme fatale, um, she still remains kind of the product of the fear of um, men. <laughs> In the end, um, the femme fatale too was created by men. So um, she still embodies that kind of um, fear that men have of women and also masculine projections of, you know, seductive beauty, uh, what is conventional beauty, all those types of things. Okay, um, so I continue to quote from Courtney's dissertation. By the late 1940s, the femme fatale as a film character was so popular and well-received that she was becoming a pastiche of a figure. I quote from Jankovic there. She was exciting to both women and men as she embodied a beauty that adhered to patriarchal standards, okay, like I said, while also being an empowering figure for women. As Faramond explains, another theorist, the femme fatale is usually under 40 and conforms to normative beauty standards, oh, normative body standards of beauty and body type. This power derives from her ability to meet patriarchal standards, which the majority of women are unable to meet themselves. Essentially, men want her and women want to be her. According to another theorist named Allen, the femme fatale was so popular among women in the 1940s because it offered them a figure to emulate. The femme fatale offered an opportunity not only to enact her seductive beauty, but also to indulge in the fantasy of freedom, sexual independence and considerable enjoyment. This need for freedom mirrors the growing need for feminist change during the 1940s and 50s. And also what is interesting is that a film featuring the femme fatale usually includes a morally purer or good female character. Okay, that's not something we see in Arachnia. Um, but anyway, let me move on. However, the virginal good girl is the character who usually seems out of place in the narrative. Whereas one could argue that the femme fatale seems utterly comfortable within her filmic world. Okay, maybe that is not so... Um, so different from Bride of Chaotica, because we have Constance Goodhart, who you've heard gives off a really impressive scream <laughs> at the beginning of the episode from the clip of Chaotica. Okay, so I'm going to stop uh, there with the femme fatale. I'm sure you can get a pretty good idea of what the femme fatale is like. I'm also 
quickly going to just overview a very nice table that Courtney Tink wrote up in her dissertation that really, um, really, yeah, gives a very good summary of the type of femme fatales that have appeared in popular culture or even in, um, before popular culture was a thing. Um, so let me quickly go through that and then we can start to apply this to Bride of Chaotica and see how Captain Janeway fits the femme fatale figure and which version of the femme fatale she fits. Okay, so Courtney here lists first the ancient femme fatale. So this dates from 2000 BC onwards. Okay, so this is quite a very old archetype or trope of the femme fatale. She says the characteristics of this trope, she's da a dangerous temptress, she's very beautiful, she tries to tear men from their wives by seducing them, and she has autonomous sexuality. Okay, terrifying. <laughs> so actually, Courtney quotes um, literally exa literary examples. She, um, she lists the tales of Jezebel, uh, Salome, Delilah, Eve, and Lilith, all found in the Bible. And then the goddess Inanna from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Okay. And then next is the Victorian femme fatale from the 1800s to the 1900s or early 1900s. She says she's mythic, voluptuous, challenges the male gaze. She's assertive, beautiful, deadly, almost animalistic, appears supernatural and immortal at times. She's the dark Venus. So examples of that would be Lady Lilith. Um, if you're wondering about Lady Lilith, I've done an episode on that with Courtney previously. I can't remember which episode number it is, um, but it is called Lilith, the Original Feminist. So you can listen to that if you're interested in this thing. And then there's the noir femme fatale, the dangerous woman. And I think this, um, this really fits arachnia. So I'm only going to go up to here with the femme fatale, um, with the list. But, um, she's basically, she's powerful. She's evil. She's mysterious, beautiful, seductive, ultra feminine, villainous behavior. She wants to see the destruction of the hero. And she's usually destroyed at the end of the text or the film. Okay, so um, luckily Arachnia does not, um, she's not destroyed at the end. Um, but it says usually destroyed, not always. So <laughs> I think she still fits this one. And the Noir Femme Fatale, this is kind of what I've read um, earlier. So examples of that, um, Courtney gives Dead Reckoning from 1947 and Scarlet Street from 1945. Actually, I haven't watched any of those um, movies, but um, I have watched Bride of Chaotica. <laughs> so yes, let me then get into the analysis and let me kind of identify how Captain Janeway really embodies this femme fatale character in Bride of Chaotica. All right, so the first thing that came out in Courtney Dis Courtney's description of uh, the 1940s, 1950s femme fatale is that she's a character that derives power from her gender without sacrificing her beauty or femininity. 
So in Bride of Chaotica, I, I find it interesting that they chose Captain Janeway to portray Chaotica and not Seven of Nine, because Seven of Nine is in the more traditional sense beautiful and feminine. Actually, I always thought Captain Janeway is kind of tomboyish, but the way they dressed Captain Janeway for Chaotica, uh, for the episode or for <laughs> to portray Arachnia, we see that she wears this really tight dress that really puts emphasis on her figure, um, it shows her off as very curvaceous and it really, um, it really frames her figure. I'm reminded of the silhouette the first time she walks into the castle and she kind of stands there looking up and we really see how her figure is framed. We can see her breasts, her hips and her waist is quite thin and, um, the dress is made definitely to emphasize her body. So Arachnia, she's quite powerful. She's the queen of the spider people. She is, um, Chaotica says to her, yeah, you're the only one that understands me because you have as much power as I do, you know, in the, um, in the show. But he's also quite sexist. <laughs> Interestingly, Chaotica still sees Arachnia as below him. And I think that's also characteristic of the, the 1940s movies that's why she's so terrifying because even though she's supposedly below the male character um she actually has more power than him why because she has her beauty she has her femininity she has her gender and she uses that as a way um to yeah em to reinforce her power in the case of arachnia too we see that when she seduces Chaotica's little uh, minion. What's his name? Lonzak or Lorzak. Uh, now I forgot his name. When she seduces him with her pheromones. Once again, she uses her femininity. She does not use brute strength, although Captain Janeway does throw in a, a few kicks and punches. Um, her main power here is her femininity. And maybe that's why um, she's so opposed to it when, when Tom Paris is like, Captain, you have to be arachnia because she's like oh my goodness i don't want to <laughs> try and seduce this this evil guy um i think that really kind of goes against uh, what captain janeway does but i guess that's what also makes this episode so funny and so um so interesting okay then the next thing is that the farm fatal maintains ultra femininity like Captain Janeway does, like I just explained. And she also demonstrates traits associated with masculinity, such as power and strength. So like I said, she throws in a few punches and kicks. She disarms the guard and then she holds the, puts the phaser on Chaotica. And we see that even though she is a woman, this very feminine woman, she still has power in the narrative. Um, not only in terms of her position as queen of the spider people, but also compared to Chaotica and even the guard. She even overpowers him while using her femininity and also her masculine power and strength. So, yes, like Courtney explains, um, this causes confusion and ambiguity. And this is what makes her so mysterious because she embodies both of these characteristics. <laughs> she's very feminine, but she's also very masculine. And I think that that's really what makes the femme fatale such an interesting character. And um, Janeway really successfully portrays this part of her um, definitely uh, in a very skillful way. 
Okay, and then the next thing um, is that the femme fatale trope, she uses her her wily nature or her, uh, how can I say, seductive nature or her um, witty nature and seductive behavior to get whatever she wants, which was usually materialistic. Okay, interestingly, we see this in Bride of Chaotica 2. Um, what Arachnia does is she seduces Chaotica, she seduces the guard, and then she gets what she wants, which is the death ray, is it? <laughs> Actually, obviously, she's trying to lower the force field. Um, so there's kind of two levels of meaning here, or two levels uh, going on here. We have Captain Janeway, who's trying to save Voyager, and then we also have Arachnia, <laughs> who's trying to... Um, to destroy Chaotica, but she usually gets what she wants, and it's usually materialistic. She gets the death ray, she lowers the shield, and um, in terms of Dr. Chaotica's lore or whatever, she would probably have taken Chaotica's castle and his subjects and all of those uh, materialistic things that he owns. Right, so the next thing, um, she's a diabolically beautiful woman, whose beauty is outmatched only by her cruelty and penchant for revenge. Okay, I quote there from Courtney. Um, yes, so we see that in The Bride of Chaotica, Chaotica keeps complimenting her, like, oh, you are, you know, you're, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he keeps saying how beautiful she is. <laughs> and then she also says something like, Oh, you're so fiendishly, uh, something, something. Um, in the beginning, uh, Tom Paris kind of coaches Janeway and he says, you have to use these really big words like diabolical and fiendish <laughs> and all those, um, those, <laughs> those types of really over the top words, uh, cause the villain likes it. And then he does like it, you know, the way she compliments him. And then he also compliments her and he's also seduced by her beauty. And um, she's obviously cruel and vengeful too. So again, like I say, there's two layers because we have actually Captain Janeway who's not cruel and who's not set on revenge. She's just trying to, to save her ship. But Arachnia, she would have been cruel. Um, she's she she kills chaotica and she takes his stuff. Um, she kills the guards. She surely does whatever she wants. Um, and um, yeah, I wouldn't say she's she's uh, full of revenge. We don't really see revenge in this short narrative, but there's definitely a hint of cruelty in her portrayal. Right, and then, like Amanda Dupree said, the femme fatale assigns women the power to control men, even to destroy them by using their beauty and ability to compel men's attractions. Okay, classic case of this in Bride of Chaotica. We see that Arachnia really has the power to control Chaotica. She does not control him with her intellect or with her um, brute strength with physical power, but she controls him with her beauty and her ability to make him attracted to her with her pheromones or her perfume. And she does that with the guard as well. Right, and then uh, there's one or two more things that I can briefly point out. Um, like Courtney Tink explains, there is usually um, in these films that feature the femme fatale, there's usually a morally purer or good female character. 
and um, then we have the femme fatale and they're kind of uh, placed against each other um, I guess the the purer female makes the femme fatale even more mysterious and more scary and terrifying <laughs> too so like I said, we see that um, right in the beginning of the episode, there's a scene where Chaotica kind of tied up someone and it's this blonde woman named Constance Goodheart. Okay. And it's so interesting that her, her surname is Goodheart. I think it, it literally speaks to this idea that there's a morally purer character and she's usually, I'm, I'm, I'm adding to this now, but from my understanding, she's more passive, uh, naive, more innocent and I can see how she can easily descend into being a damsel in distress. The femme fatale, she's definitely not a damsel in distress. She's got power. She's got agency compared to this really um, weak other female character. Interestingly, that Constance Goodhart is also blonde. Um, from what I know about the femme fatale, previous femme fatales that I have seen, they're usually... Uh, brunettes and I think that really adds to their mysteriousness too or it's supposed to make them more mysterious I don't know um, but that's also an interesting thing that I picked up there's of course also stereotypes that um, you know blonde is light it is good it's pure whereas brunette is more mysterious dark potentially evil <laughs> okay of course none of that is true I'm a brunette and I think I'm a pretty nice person <laughs> but um, there's those stereotypes Stereotypes, and we can definitely see this binary playoff in Bride of Chaotica. Right, so the final thing that Courtney also points out about the femme fatale is that she still, however, remains firmly within patriarchal notions of femininity. So from my perspective, I think she kind of embodies fears um, that men have of women. Um, there's nothing more terrifying than a woman that is able to use her sexuality to seduce someone um, from the the hero's perspective in the 1940s, I would assume. And we kind of still sometimes see those tropes play out in, in contemporary film and television series too. But um, like Amanda Dupree also points out, out, she still adheres to patriarchal standards of beauty as well. Even though that beauty is used as a means to empower her through seduction and through her sexualization and um, that, that beauty becomes her strength, um, still that is a stereotypical beauty. It is kind of what men um, or the what the ideal woman is supposed to look like so I think Courtney really writes it quite aptly here she says that the femme fatale is basically um, men want her and women want to be her and I think that really says a lot there's of course also the question then if a powerful woman is not allowed to be wanted by men. <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting when we pit Arachnia against Captain Janeway because Captain Janeway is, I would say, really the opposite of Arachnia. She never ever uses her sexuality to gain what she wants. Rather, she, she uses her intellect, she uses her skill, her command, her knowledge, her wisdom, all of those types of things. She never uses her sexuality. We also never see Captain Janeway in anything other than her unisex Starfleet uniform, 
We only see her in her nightdress a few times. And then, of course, in Arachnia, we actually see what her body shape looks like. So I think there's a very interesting play. I guess that was part of the humor to put Captain Janeway, of all people, into the shoes of Arachnia, who is so the exact opposite of Janeway. Of course, Janeway is also the good guy. <laughs> she's not um, evil. She's not set on revenge. She's really just doing this to save her ship. So... Yes, that is it, actually. That's what I wanted to talk about today in terms of Chaotica and the Femme Fatale and Captain Janeway. When I watched that episode the first time, I immediately thought, ah, Femme Fatale. <laughs> and I think they framed it that way too by making it black and white. It really speaks to that tradition of the character. So yes, anyway, thank you so much for listening again today. I promise next week there will be an episode on the Cruella movie. It was a fun movie. I really liked it. Also problematic in many ways, but you can look forward to the discussion of that next week. Everyone, thank you so much for listening once again, and good luck with the week ahead. I hope that this podcast gives you something to think about and to chew on for a while. And I hope that uh, if you watch Bride of Chaotica now, that uh, you'll have a much better idea of the kind of uh, feminist theory, the kind of tropes, the kind of archetypes that really informed that representation. I think Voyager did a stellar job and the writers did a very good job in capturing that so well. So yes, that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Live long and prosper until next week. This is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek Review Podcast. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think that we've talked about Nurse Chapel before, and I think that, yeah, I mean, it's Majel, right? We we love Majel, which she can't really do wrong, so uh, I think that's... That... Well, yes, she can. <laughs> Tried to slip that by you, but maybe not. Maybe not during this era. But she certainly can do. Wrong. Yeah, Christine Chapel couldn't do wrong. Loxwana, uh, yeah, she can definitely spoil some episodes for sure. Loading Holosuite Preview Program Four: The Expanse, an Enterprise podcast. You guys are making some great selling points for Savard, <laughs> but I still don't like him. So. Uh... We're just, we're just going to have to agree, disagree, and move on, because uh, we have other captains to discuss. Uh, so I'm not going to go there. Um, but we are now up on our next captain, my favorite captain, um, Captain Cisco. All right. And, uh, of course, we see him in his opening uh, pilot episode on board the Saratoga and uh, fighting Picard at Wolf 359 when Picard is Lacutus, of course. Which was not an inside job, no matter what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> Computer, deactivate Holosuite.